pipes are Mitch. On this week's episode, I speak to an extremely talented and in-demand and constantly working music producer, musician, composer and artist. In 2012, my guest's debut electronic music release was commercially well-received, charting number one on iTunes in Australia, and his contributions to many Australian Arts Council and New South Wales Ministry for the Arts-funded theatre productions have earned him awards in excellence of sound design in 2015, 16, 18, 19 and 20. My next guest's recent collaborations have worked with artists such as Jacob Ridgway and many more composers, thus allowing him to be played on the national youth broadcaster Triple J. His passion for working with music technology has aided him in creating musical collaborations and productions that are extremely diverse, from sound design for sculptural and art installations, theme songs for TV shows, producing pop acts to working with institutes and musical conservatories, conservatoriums. He's also had performances happen all over the world, including a MIDI-assisted performance at the United Nations Congress Hall in New York. He also has a professional background in teaching and training as a teacher at the University of Newcastle, Taith, New South Wales, in the Hunter Music Department, alongside 15 years of private tuition and artist development. My next guest was uh, introduced to me by my friend from episode 20, Dan, and uh, thank you for putting us together, bruv. I hope, I hope you're well and I miss you. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce the insanely talented Hugh Jones, a.k.a. Fox Control. I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with the the master of sound. Enjoy. Righto, I'd like to introduce the insanely talented Hugh Jones, aka Fox Control. How are you today, sir? Hi, excellent. Thanks, Mitch. Yourself? Yeah, going well, going well. It's nice and cold here at the moment. Whereabouts in the world do we find you? I'm in uh, Newcastle in Mayfield and um, it, it is a, a cool down a little bit, but it's still nice, you know, nice, nice temperature. Well, that's good. Yeah, I... I'm from Newcastle. I grew up in a little place called West Ball's End. But uh, about a year ago, I decided to move to Orange, which for those of you who are unaware, it's cold as shit out here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes I regret it, but it, it is a nice bougie little town. So I've uh, heard that actually. What, yeah. Why did you make that transfer from Newcastle to Orange? Well, I got a job in the pit out here and it's yep. no more night shift. And awesome. my dad's my dad's side of the family's from here as well. So it's kind of like uh, coming home in its own little way, I suppose. So I, I like it yep. out here. It's nice. Everything's, you know, close by. Yeah. But you do have that little small town mentality as well. So you, you yeah. go to the bank, you run to someone to go to the shops. Hello, Mitch. So, uh, how, how you going? You have that in Newcastle too, I think. Like it's really uh, my favourite description of Newcastle is Goldilocks's porridge. It's just the right size, so you get that small town atmosphere, but you know more of those um, city amenities kind of thing. Yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that metaphor, but I like it. I dig it. <laughs> 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 so I thought today uh, we could go over your time in music. You know, you obviously you're a composer, you're a producer, you're a, a teacher, you're a, an artist, and so much more. But I was wondering today if we could delve into your music career, talk about some of the incredibly unique projects you've worked on and are yeah. currently working on and yep. sort of go over things like a timeline. But first, I was wondering if you could join me here in having a bitchy with Mitchie. That would be all right? Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, let, let's do this. So basically, uh, it's a good chance to have a lighthearted whinge wine sook. And I always <laughs> give the guests the opportunity to go first if they'd like to. If not, I can. It's up to you. Yep. No, look... Um... This is, I'm sure, nearly everyone can relate to who has kids. I, I'd like to bitch about um, early rise times with children and um, and then also bitch about children getting permanent markers and absolutely taking to the houses they live in with them. <laughs> <laughs> go, go for it. My, my son's just done his first tag yesterday all over the carpet in his room. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been horrendous. And then I, I spent the afternoon on my hands and knees, like cleaning it up, just absolutely scrubbing the carpet. And um, we got it all out. But now there's this absolutely toxic smell of this citrus oomph that is overwhelming the house. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's just the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> but he's expressing himself and we're grateful for that. <laughs> Was it at least a pretty cool tag? <laughs> yeah, lots of stars. Actually, it reminds me of the eyes from like the Cause dolls and stuff. So, oh, cool. <laughs> it's good. There you go. 
Oh, that's all right. I, I don't know if it was getting scatter boy vibes or whatever, but you know, that's cool. I, yeah, I, my bitch is, it's a very first world problem one, but I, I hit a kangaroo out here back in November oh. and there wasn't that much damage to the car and they couldn't get parts till February. Put my car in February, February 6th, still haven't got it back. And I'm told I won't have it back till mid to late this month. So it's been, oh. it's been annoying sort of getting around in this little courtesy car that struggles to make it to the shops. Yeah. Um, I know what a first world problem to have, but just want my wheels back, man. I need to, I need to hit that open road is what I love doing. Oh. And you, you need a vehicle in a town in Australia, right? Like I think so. Cause public transport out here is not too bad, but I work 30 Ks out of town and it just yep. it becomes a pain in the butt. And this little courtesy car I've got is an old Mazda Astina and yep. I swear all the power it's got struggles just to get out of the driveway. So here I am. <laughs> struggles to, to run the air conditioning. <laughs> oh, to, to use the braking, oh, i got to take my jumper off and stick it out the window and try and use oh. it as, <laughs> and, as a parachute. Trying to assist some of the braking system as well. <laughs> oh, God. That's dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It's a first world problem, but, yeah, I just would be nice to have a car with brakes as yeah. well. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, like that's I know it's petty, but that's that's what this section's for. It's to have I use it as an ice breaking tool. Cause you and I have obviously never met in person. And uh I've got to give shout outs to Dan. Uh Dan put us in contact. So hey Dan, I know you wanted some recognition. So there it is, bruv. Good on you. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Um, also known as Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll go to his head. Don't don't give him too much. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> All right, uh, is there anything else that you want to get off your chest or you're right to roll? I'm, I'm ready to roll. I, I spend actually most of my time practising gratitude. So when you mentioned about that, um, the, the bitch at the start, it's um, it's kind of the opposite of my regular practice. I think, <laughs> oh, man, what, what am I going to whinge about? <laughs> this is, yeah, like first world problems. I mean, we're pretty blessed. So Absolutely. And I like that, the whole, I, I you know, I, I write down a list each day of stuff I'm grateful for and, um, so I, I guess in my own little way, I express gratitude as well. So important to have a good mindset to sort of roll into the, the new working week, but my, I'll hit you with the first question if you're ready. Um, Go for it. So the first question is, so you're heavily involved in music and, and, you know, all, all forms of technology and, and all things like that. What was the genesis of your career? How did you actually get involved on this trajectory? What was the first thing that made yeah. you think, you know what, this is for me? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question, and I've thought about that a lot over the years. Um, I grew up on a, a farm in a remote area in the Upper Murray region at the foot of Mount Kosciuszko, and my father played guitar, and I remember watching him play Stairway to Heaven and thinking, wow, I really want to do that. And then so I started playing guitar as, as a kid, and then... Um, I remember getting two tape recorders and having uh, you could like do a voice dub into one tape and recording, you know, a little bit into one tape and then taking that tape, putting it in the other tape recorder, hitting play and then then tracking the next track over top into the other tape recorder and um, getting into sort of recording as a teenager. And and I was lucky. I, I, I hated life on the farm. I absolutely... It was really um, isolating and remote. It's not a not a fun time for a teenager, but at the same time, I had no distractions as well, and um, and so it forced me to to use my imagination and then to um, really spend my time indulging in in things like sound and and spend my time listening because you're in the middle of nowhere as well. So. Um, you spend a lot of time just in silence. I remember there might be like one or two cars go past the the house a day kind of in the valley and you would hear the car coming, you know, minutes ahead. You would hear the and then you'd get that Doppler effect as the car goes past and then, you know, off into the valley again and then, all right, well, that was that car for the day. You you might not see another one kind of thing. So, um, yeah, definitely doing that and then, moving leaving when I turned 18 and I left the farm and that and I I got a lot of being in a small town as well you you play a few gigs here and there and at public events and you get a lot of positive reinforcement for that 
and um, small communities are great for championing championing members of their community. So I've got a lot of positive reinforcement there. And then moving away, I um, started meeting people through jam nights and that. So there's a lot of social reinforcement there as well, like positive social reinforcement. And then, um, I, you know, I, I like a, a project and I like a challenge. So all through from there on, I would be talking to people and people would say they have ideas and and I'd be interested in their ideas. And I, I don't really call myself like an artist or a musician. Sometimes I call myself a yes man. So people say, I want to do this. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then a month later, I'm like, I'm sitting in my room going, why did I say yes to this? This is absolute <laughs> torture. But it, you, you get some really great moments. Um from doing that and it's put me in some really weird scenarios and um but I but I think uh, as much as anything music has been a great connection for me with myself music and audio um they're kind of the same thing to me um sound has been a great connection to myself and also a great connection to um the people and the, and the world around me so I've definitely sort of use that as as an avenue as people might do with sport for example maybe you you're joining local football teams or something like that and you're meeting people and you get um work through that and and you're supporting communities and um i've just found that a lot of my communities have revolved around creative practices and audio practices well, that just to be an answer to all my questions thanks for tuning into this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's funny. I've I've realised that more now than ever. Growing up, like I was more focused, especially in my late teens, early twenties, and and you, your ego is running a bit more wild. And I had more aspirations of performing and um, being sort of the the entertainer on stage kind of thing. But now, currently, I'm studying a. Um, a graduate certificate of creative therapy and I really appreciate uh, the social value of music and and the individual value of music and and sounds that everything from enabling people to make simple choices um, to that social emotional well-being to um, people uh, creating things of of whether it's expression or of value to them or, or of social value to them. For example, I was doing this um, and, and I just, I don't know how this happened. Someone said, hey, you, you could do this, where there was some kids that were bouncing off the juvenile justice system and, and they, but they needed programs for um, positive community engagement and, um, and they needed programs that would break cycles where, where um, you had social cycles and habitual cycles, um, whether that was related around, you know, substance abuse or, um, or aspirational cycles as well. It, you tend to be, there, there's another statistic where um, your work aspirations tend to be really close to what your parents do, for example, or, or immediate family. So these guys were coming in and um, we would make a beat together and they would, they would rap, they, would, they had lots of time maybe when they were locked up, for example, to write verses and to think about that and to think about their bars. We'd coax them through um, recording some vocals and then at the end of every session they would walk out with like a two, three-minute track and, um, and it would be some really, really pure stuff of um that these people were expressing and for a couple of the guys this was some of the first things one of the first things that they'd ever created that wasn't related around um you know pushing substances or, or stuff like that or having family members push substances onto them for example so that just walking out after an hour with that sense of achievement was enough but then being able to take that track and then share that with their friends and community going, check out what I did. Not, not like, 
um, well, something beyond check out, you know, the place I knocked over or or the um, the mischief I got up to, but check out this <laughs> this song I made, and mm-hmm. and that would blow people's minds if if you're not involved in that world, and and your mate comes up to you and says, "Man, I recorded, I wrote and recorded a song today," and you listen to it, and you're like, "That's magic! Like that didn't exist this morning." <laughs> So it was really, really fulfilling. And and that's one of those scenarios where someone says, oh, man, I think you could do this. Like it, you've got this skill set and, and the space to do that. And I'm like, yeah, all right, let's, <laughs> let's do that. And it was great. And you build relationships with people too. And, and I like people. Like I, yeah. that's another thing. I do like people. Because yeah. um, I'll just go on on sort of on your timeline on your website and so it says that you've been a, a teacher for about 15 years like with both private tuition and sort of with the university and taking yourself fails as well yeah and one of the questions i was going to ask was what's one of the most rewarding uh things you've gone on to see your students do but it's stuff like that you know that's a, that's an incredible story so what are i guess i'll just sort of restructure for, one of these questions here what are some of the differences between like private tuition as opposed to like teaching as a whole in in the university system say what are some of yeah. the key differences there private private tuition is um you're sitting down with a person and then you're mapping out their own um, bespoke journey so whether that's um they want to learn specifically about a, a genre or a or a type of music whether it's improvising on blues guitar or maybe um, I do private tuition for beat making and stuff like that. And that can revolve around different styles of like EDM or hip hop or stuff like that as well. So sometimes it's that bespoke and that specific um, where in a classroom setting, there's other things like curriculum and, and that, that you've got to sort of tick the box of that people once they finish a, a course that they meet standards and levels, but you're also um, a little bit more general in that practice of going, okay, here's a toolbox of, of skills and knowledge that you will need to execute um, X, Y, and Z kind of thing. So, and that's a little bit more about sort of the, the practice of, of whatever it is. So generally in the classroom, I'm, I'm doing, um, recording practices at creative studio classes at the uni at the moment, for example. Um, but so you could look at, yeah, the, the private tuition is, is about mapping that individual journey. And that's a really great bespoke sort of process. And, it, and sometimes with high school kids as well, it's this great time where um, they don't, they're not stressing about, oh, I've got my HSC coming up and stuff like that. I'm like, man, in six months' time, your HSC doesn't matter. Once you finish school, you can do other bridging courses if you want to go to uni or, or stuff like that. Um, so it's it's a great time to uh, do things for the individual, for for a person. And then um, in a classroom, it's a great time to develop um, the functionality of of a person in, in a group setting kind of thing in to a related field or topic. Yeah. Nice. I, I, yeah. I wasn't, when I was at school many moons ago, I don't, I didn't appreciate how much pressure they seem to put on the HSC. I've never used yeah. one. And to a lot yeah. of my classmates that have gone on and have graduated with like a decent UAI as it was back then and gone on to uni. Yeah. A lot of them haven't ever used their degrees in ways that they thought they might. So, you know, in, in saying that, yeah, that wasn't the course for me and like, I like with what you just said, you're an educator and you said that like the HSC could mean nothing or, you know, there are other ways and means to go about it. And they sort of, when I was at school, didn't really explain that enough. So I appreciate you yeah. highlighting that. Um, the and, HSC, yeah. that end of school period is real. Sh- it, it demonstrates a lot of short-sightedness and, and it instills a short-sightedness into students that they don't get a scope of, um, life is longer <laughs> than school and and your existence is worth far more than this and um and it's so broad you know the world is so broad and they can't possibly give you that scope in a 
in a school setting and um and the hsc really demonstrates that and it's awful the stress that that kids get put onto when they don't understand the scope of of the wider world and of time ahead of them yeah after sort of going through the school system and coming out i've i've been lucky enough to travel the world and even live yeah. overseas and yeah it sucks that they uh, teachers well, back then, I don't know what they like nowadays, but they make you see the world in sort of like a tunnel vision sense and they don't give you the, the idea that it's a broad, wide world out there. So I appreciate you saying that. There's um, a lot of great teachers out there, mm. but, but I think the system's wrong. Like I, yeah. I think the system's broken. It's it's not relevant. Sounds like it can be a little bit restrictive. I So the next question I had for you was, yeah. so in this amazing introduction that you're yet to hear, I uh, also <laughs> may mention that you made your introduction into the world in 2012 as a you released your first piece of electronic music as Fox Control. Yeah. And commercially, it was well received, even hitting number one on iTunes. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Um, yeah. My first question was, uh, how did that project come about and how was it publicly releasing some of your music? Yeah. So up to that point, I was playing in a lot of blues bands at the time and um I just found it hard to keep bands together and, and stuff like that. And um, loop pedals were becoming really popular as well. And that really suited my ego. <laughs> I could just be the, the center of attention and um, I didn't have to worry about organizing band practices or whatever. So um, yeah, then I started making uh, electronic music. I mean, um, that's a loaded term as well. Even I get an electric guitar is electronic music because it produces sound out of a speaker kind of thing. Um, yep. But I started, yeah, dabbling in, in electronic music. I, I really was enjoying the sounds. And that stems also from recording on the farm and not having access to drummers. And I used to make my own drum tracks and, and beats on the farm as well. So as an extension of that, trying to do it live. Um, in real time and and be fluent in a free form and expressive way so I got together a bunch of songs um, recorded them at my friend Phil's place on the central coast Bill Sawyers and then um, and that, that was it like you you make the artwork my wife did the artwork and the logo and then we sent them away I got sent five tracks away to get printed onto a CD right before doing a run of shows around the snow one winter. And, um, yeah, really, then you've got a product, you've got a bunch of CDs and you've got to take it to market. <laughs> so you just start selling them. And then the iTunes thing, you know, it, it was fairly young. Kids probably don't even really use iTunes these days. It's it's amazing how much these uh, platforms and mediums and how rapidly they're moving by. But that was literally just texting everyone and, and saying, you know, doing what you do, oh, this has come out today. I'd really appreciate it if everyone could um, jump on board and, and grab my EP. And that was one of the first ones. So there's a lot of initial support and a lot of enough people brought it at the same time. I think it was calculated every two and a half hours or something like that at the time. And enough people brought it that it for a day and a bit it put me at number one on on these itunes and um yeah it was it was interesting because it wasn't quite a fair chart as well i released this album under the blues and roots kind of thing because that was the background i came from and it loosely does fit into that um because it's still very guitar orientated and 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 still musically there's a lot of blues in there in that first EP, but um, it's again, it's not. It probably wasn't also a hyper competitive genre for that digital platform because a lot of blues fans were still buying hard copies like CDs and and uh, were slower to take up that platform. So it might have been a little bit easier for me to do that chart versus an EDM chart, for example, where you've got more tech savvy fans and and they're really on that platform yeah sounds like you were in front of the eight ball with that one um you just you mentioned uh before like when you're on the farm and when you started recording as fox control you're able to play some gigs around the snow yeah and in your local town but if you take your mind back actually this is a two-parter i'll change this one up a little bit 
Yeah. Where was the first ever gig you played? And if there's one or a few, where are some memorable favorite gigs that you've had the opportunity to play and where were they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, some of my first public performances was uh, mum would take me to church at the um, local Anglican church. There were two. One was really rural and remote. One might have had half a dozen people there and another one was in a town called Tumbarumba, nearest town. And um and that and that was yeah on Sunday strumming um E A D and G chords you know in um in that setting was a was sort of my first opener eye opener to um a level of performance but but it wasn't sort of top down performance not like um a show thing it, it's about providing a accompaniment for a group of people and a and in a that worship setting but then um. After that, it would have been like, oh, yeah, actually, gotcha. <laughs> year, year six, um, I conned um, a couple of other kids into playing Sunshine of Your Love by The Cream with me at a talent quest. Great song. And um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I remember. And, and the, the primary school had, like, this drum kit and, and none of us knew what we were doing and, um, and still don't, but the drum kit we propped up on other boxes and stuff like that because it was all bits and bobs and then and those boxes obviously fell over right before the performance it was a whole it was a whole thing um and I'm still making those mistakes now <laughs> it's like yeah so, so it's pretty chaotic but definitely probably like the year six talent quest might have been that first one yeah yeah, nice. Uh, and over the years, who have been some of the personal and professional inspirations that help influence the sound of the music you've been producing? Yeah, that's so wildly diverse too. You know, um, I, I grew up listening to my parents' record collections, you know, tapes and, and that. So definitely like my dad and love for blues and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And then... Um, Moving away, there was a guitarist by the name of Warren Adams on the Central Coast. And I'll never forget walking up to this pub and hearing this guitar from the outside going, oh, Jesus, what, what is that? This is just absolutely mind-blowing. And then walking in and seeing this guy absolutely rip. And um, this guy was, was amazing. I later went on to play in bands with him and he would play this songs women would weep when when he played guitar like it was absolutely amazing um so he's definitely a huge influence musically and then going on and hearing records like introducing by dj shadow or um saint germain's tourist was hugely influential then going on into more of the the electronic and down tempo sort of stuff and um and then evolving even more like right now probably for the last you know three or four years my favorite record has been uh, Max Richter's uh, recomposition of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. I remember hearing that on this the Chef's Table soundtrack, this show on Netflix, and just being absolutely floored by that opening song. And I reckon I listen to that record nearly every week, probably, and have done for years. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I love hearing sort of the genesis of people's influences and, you know, how they got started. And along the way, like I, I like you, you're passionate about music and blues and roots. And my passion is storytelling. Like I love hearing about not only individual stories, but, you know, uh, those out there who have lived eclectic lives. And that's what this show is about. I get to speak to people like yourself who are interesting and intriguing. And I just get to sit back, ask one question, and then you're happy to answer it. It makes my job extremely easy. And one thing I like to learn is what are some things you've learned along the way? So your time producing, so your first record come out 11 years mm. ago. What are some of the things that you back then was, you know, thought to important as opposed to now, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way about yourself and how has it affected your music? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like, Musically, there there was things like virtuosity and um uh you know being being a shredder and all the ego stuff that they used to think was super important and I was never good at um but it was very aspirational um but that's sort of 
left a lot. Now I'm more definitely um, I'm involved to this point of, of sound and the, and the vibrations and the and the feeling you get from that. For me, I, I remember seeing this uh, performance, this artist Afro Moses, and him saying this thing once of like. I've seen Afro Moses play before as well. Sorry, he's amazing. Mm. Even his sound check is amazing when he's playing a kalimba, and he's like, "Oh, this is my sound check," and you're just going, "Whoa, this is insane!" <laughs> his sound check is it's so incredible and powerful. Um, but he said this thing one night where it was uh, you listen to the words when you're sad, and um, you listen to the music or the rhythm when you're happy, kind of thing. And I, I think that's partially true. Um, I'm always been more interested in the feeling of the sound than the um the lyrics the lyrics words are a little bit too um prescriptive to me or um a little bit or simple in their description of of the state or, or the story of the subject where i find um the sound more evocative but that's personally that that's what works for me but it's interesting you just talked about storytelling and in this course that I'm doing at the moment we're doing a lot about that storytelling and the power that it gives um, people and groups of people where um, storytelling can give um, enhanced senses of autonomy and um, also solidify cultural values and um also really make uh, situational um, paradigms clear. So it's such a valuable tool for society and for communities to have storytelling, yeah, even, even if it's um, technical storytelling so you can learn how to fix something or someone talks about a mistake so you don't have to make it. There's really basic ideas there as well. Yeah, but in yeah, terms well, it, of being sorry. heard. No, no, go for it. I was going to say it's one of the one of the few things that connects all cultures, whether it's through stories, whether it's through music, or even some senses like a a lot of stories are of sport as well. Uh, uh, combines this, and you know it, it's it's one of the things that it's been passed down since humanity, even in its inception days. Like everyone tells stories, and um, yeah, like I think. Afro Moses is a is a quite a unique example to give. I remember first seeing him at Coast Fest. I think it was two thousand eight. Um, yeah. Then I think he played in Bitter and Twisted in two thousand and nine as well. And yeah, like that's that's really cool hearing you say that. It took me back to those gigs. Um, yeah. <laughs> and on yeah in um in the amazing intro that you get to hear, I keep referencing it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's better so be we <laughs> you're uh, I, I spoke about um you're also an award-winning producer. You've won uh, awards in the excellence in sound design in 15, 16, 18, 19, and 20. Um, for your work thus far, what's it like being recognised for your work and being the recipient of such prestigious awards? Yeah, it's it's really validating um, professionally. It's really validating to have work recognised like that. Um, it is a funny thing also because... There's recognition like that also revolves around trends and um, and it's not necessarily reflective of creative excellence or technical excellence or, or anything like that as well. So, um, but to be recognised in a community like that is super validating um, and good for the ego, <laughs> but also um, the... And it's and it also recognizes that uh, I was lucky to work with some great teams of people at the same time, so that would um, put me in a situation to to be to do some work that is received well by audiences. So um, yeah, there a lot of all of those awards came from working with the same company, and that's Tantrum Youth Arts in Newcastle, and they are. Just this amazing theatre company uh, with such diversity in their ranks and they have such a heavy focus on original material and creating original material. And they live on grants for developing original material, basically, and they do, they 
create these scenarios where you meet and then, uh, for example, I did this one scenario at Cessnock only a, a month ago where we all met at the start of the week in Cessnock with a bunch of um, young people and then on, mon- on Monday and then on Friday we put on a show for like 100 people. <laughs> it, was, it was insane and it was a play that they'd written and, um, and the kids the teenagers got to tell their stories through that and um and express you know variations of their stories and and it's really you know empowering and and validating for them to do that those kids as well and it shows that they can go from idea to actualization and that's super powerful as well but anyway tantrum are a great company for original um creative projects and that's I find that's really, really important because it leans a little bit away from this commercial focus. So Newcastle has a great musical theatre scene, for example, um, but I find like a lot of these plays or the musical theatre productions are um, focused on like Broadway titles, Wicked or um, Aladdin or stuff like that. But that's And that's great. Um, and but it has a huge commercial focus because these brands sell tickets and and that um but what you lose is the storytelling and um and the importance of of giving uh local people or local communities the platforms to solidify their stories so in the sense of you know selling tickets it can be quite restrictive to one's creativity it's funny that hey, to to uh, to to you know, quote unquote be mainstream, it's it can be quite an an odd process. I I listened to a Scrubs podcast. Um, the two hosts, Zach Braff, Donald Faison. Zach talks about uh, his background in musical theatre, and you know he's like he grew up and he said you know that to be successful in musical theatre, it can be quite restrictive, and that's why he said it's important to to just express yourself and also focus on what is important to you. And you just highlighted that as well. Like these kids get to express themselves in the way they want to. And that's what I love hearing, man. Like I love um, people just being themselves. And if they happen to be successful along the way as well, then that's all the bonus. Hey. You can lose yourself in, in those pursuits of um, commercial success, for example, where, if you're pursuing this external validation um, and you and you know what hoops to jump through, you know, in terms of what songs you need to learn or or, um, or, or what goals you need to, what benchmarks you need to hit kind of thing, you can lose where, where you don't. It's not about the personal expression. You've got the activity of expression, um, but you you lose the personalization of it and that can be damaging I think for an individual also where you've then got to take a step back and say okay that that was that that's this external thing um but what how what who am I like how do I relate to that material or um what is the the thing that I need to do that is individually me or or is part of this group of people that I associate with. Yeah, hundred percent. I and also um, on your website, it's it, you, you describe yourself as having a love for working with musical technology, and it's added you in creating some great musical collaborations productions that have mm. that are extremely diverse for sound design, for sound design, and uh, some awesome projects. I was um just going through your socials as well. So for me, I grew up in Lake Macquarie, and for those of you who are not familiar with the territory, uh, the traditional landowners are the Awabakal people. And um, I watched a video that you created on one of the projects you worked on. So can you explain the process of the, t- the project you worked on? You, you recorded sounds from in and around Lake Macquarie, Newcastle, like Charlestown Skate Park, Caves Beach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you you were able to create these amazing tunes. These you describe them as meditative and really relaxing. Um, and it, honestly, I just listened to five or six of your songs just before this as well. I thoroughly enjoyed them. I was going to ask, what's it like creating a project essentially in your own backyard and 
uh, what are some of the tools and devices that you need to to go through the process like can you explain yeah a description of that sorry if that's long-winded but no that's that's good that that was an interesting project actually that was an evolving project where um i was going to do through lake macquarie um arts and i was going to do an installation originally like some musical furniture um and there's a couple of other parties involved and then pandemic hit and all <laughs> and the things just get and the the objects I was going to make involved a lot of touch and obviously that was off the cards and kind of things um so again just by engaging with the process um and that's what creativity is about engaging with the process this thing evolved and I ended up doing these compositions that that went to be installed in um in what used to be Hilltop Plaza um at Charlestown Square but the idea was I collected I was cruising around um, a Wabakul Darkenjung land um, around that what people might know as sort of Lake Macquarie area and collecting these familiar sounds and then working those sounds into compositional takes, um, compositional forms. So things like there's a great bushwalk down near at the back of Cahaiba, um, down near Glenrock, and grab it, you can hear there's, water and birds and trees it's there's so much sound it's insane it's like a, a dense urban environment um but it's you know natural bush sounds and it but the birds have melodies and the so the song writes itself kind of thing the composition's already there and then it's about sort of curating that but it's also great uh there's things with sound for example Words you you process on one side of the brain, sound you process on the other, so that, uh, for example, it's sort of widely known that dementia patients or people suffer, or people who have dementia, um, can recall memories through music and sound, or can um, learn through where uh, diagnostically some people say the brain is failing. Um, but can still actually learn through sound and and rhythm and melody. And so using the sounds from the environment to shape rhythms and, and melodies in compositions, um, maybe they are resources for the area and for, for the place. So you get that immersive familiarness. Like Skate Park, there's the Skate Park composition in there. And skate parks are great sounds, you know, lots of slaps and um, the different textures, wood on cement, polyurethane on cement, steel on steel, um, you know, flesh on cement. <laughs> People eat it. There's your so, slap. <laughs> yeah, there's your slap. <laughs> Just that dead thud <laughs> and the wind leaving a body. <laughs> It's all part um, of it. It's, bit, it's all part of it, man. It's all part it's of it real. to be fully sick, bro. <laughs> it's so real. <laughs> um, and so you get, you get, um, it, it's so, because I grew up skateboarding as well. And I, when I hear the, the timing difference from um, that, you know, you or you hear the sound of a grind and back in, and you can kind of picture how long that grind was what the type of coping was on the ramp, um, how high or how fast that person was moving when they did that ollie kind of thing. So um, if you're involved in these environments or, or these activities, you just recognise it. it's amazing what they can conjure up for the listener, for the person. So as part of that project was, was really creating these audio environments um, that are significant or that can be recognized in the place yeah it takes me back to uh, Holmesville skate park when I was a kid it opened up and I was about 15 and amount of stacks and the amount of yeah. absolute shenanigans we get up to oh good times yeah. um and, and yeah hearing that takes me back to uh because I you know I grew up in the area and as a Novacastrian quote unquote um, yeah, it's it's truly nice to sort of see your own backyard in, in a different sense in a different light and um to speak into some of the projects that you've had a chance to work on, uh, you've also had your work uh, recorded and played overseas. 
and uh, you were able to have a project that was played in the United Nations Congress Hall uh, in New York. How was that process? What was it like to sort of take your work international and do some yeah. amazing work over there? That was, I was just actually part of a team for that. So um, that was with, there was a choir and um, they had gotten the opportunity to perform, but they wanted to it at the United Nations Congress building, but they wanted to uh, incorporate this um, really versatile, uh, quite cutting edge technology focused performance element to it. And so a lot of that was centered around uh, types of playback and um, triggering audio, what might be sort of less conventional um, audio that's not like a, a MIDI controller playing a piano sound kind of a thing. So I was working with the director of the choir uh, and how we can build up this session and and we wrote some code for it too. We, we made a little device that would trigger audio at a certain time um, so that he could conduct the choir and be spontaneous in, in how the, um, the backing that he provided for the, the musical accompaniment that was provided for the performance. Um, I didn't get to go, but it was great for a couple of months leading up and up, up to that, you know, and that was one of those yes moments where someone says, oh, I want to do this. And I go, yeah, sure. And then, then, you know, half a month later or something, you go, you're sitting in a room going, oh, I have no idea how to do this. Why did I say yes to that? But you you find a way, don't you? Like you um, you, you start learning and um, engaging in the process and, and then you get this thing at the end that you couldn't have done a month ago at the start. So it's yeah, just a, one of those great processes of working with people and developing something um, that can then be featured, you know, in, a, in another setting. It's beautiful. They can take that story to another country. Yeah, and of, of a side of significance. Yeah, well, by saying yes, as you said, you open yourself up to all these different opportunities and you know if you say no and then you don't get that sense of accomplishment that you could have had by putting yourself under a bit of strain i think some of the best times in my life is when i said yes to being out of my comfort zone and you you look back going you know what i'm glad i was able to start this project i'm glad i was able to interview this person or in your case i was able to help compose a masterpiece or whatever like so i i really really dig the whole yes man that was and by the way yeah Yes, man is a great movie with Jim Carrey. Yeah, so great movie. I, I love it. Good on you. Um, yeah. And just um, also wanted to ask you: you sent th- when Dan put us in contact, you sent through some footage of a project that you're working on currently, as uh, as uh, as current as last week. You're yeah. actually working on an Upper Hunter Arts project. Um, yeah. You've been recording sounds of the Liddell Power Station and yeah, sort of doing a a, a really really interesting project can you describe and sort of discuss some of the you know what it is you're trying to achieve up there um what are you hoping to do with the project and what it's all about so that was an interesting one um again i I submitted i saw there was a application going around for tenders um for this arts project related to the liddell power station and um as it's been running for a bit over 50 years and they want they wanted a, some artists to take um, information, a data from the place and, and present it in other ways that will have maybe emotional connection to um, com- workers there, local community, um, but also for preservation too, pres- preserving maybe like I was doing audio recording, so there's sonic data in there and stuff as well and and activities like that actually it's not a cutting edge new activity audio data has something that first nations people have been doing for since the dawn of time where if you know your song lines for example um you will know where water is you will know where food is you will know how um to engage with your environment in the seasons um you'll there's the real connection to country and to community through songlines. And this is a loose 
uh, interpretation of that practice, um, or, or not even actually, it, it is part of that practice, I, f- I feel personally. Um, pe- please talk to me about it if you have other opinions. But um, where we, I can capture sonic data, and that data can be then recorded and, and put into for for research and put into libraries and or museums and stuff like that but then also that data that sonic data can be reinterpreted uh, for example that place has been humming at like 110 120 db for 50 years and at the end of april it's about to be turned off so when you're looking at the natural landscape you've got vibrations that have been happening there for this blink of an eye right 50 years um but that what effect that has had on on the landscape and on on the um flora and fauna in the area and then um but also being able to capture sounds of the technology of the time and um i was hoping to also record uh people activity while the factory was operating but (laughs) it's just too much noise the the whole place just is this constant this big hum so it's hard to get other noise till the place closes down but that's part of what i'll do as well in the my data sonic data capturing process is you've got the noise while the place is operating and then there'll be an eerie silence as this as the turbines are turned off for the first time in 50 years um so i'll have this tiny window where we can record um the space um get impulse responses record reverbs of the spaces and stuff like that before the area is then um, repurposed and, and redeveloped into more green energy processing, um, which is a positive thing also. So there's there's this multifaceted thing with a practice like this where you've got artistic interpretation, which can connect to the humanity and um, the uh, preserve a feeling of a place, but then you've also got this very uh, factual concept of capturing sonic data where you can hear um actually what machinery sounded like um what the volume levels were like things like that and there's lots of stuff about that sonic data for example we know in cities from recordings during pandemic times we heard lots more uh, wildlife and birds coming back into the cities as people were staying indoors and there was less traffic and less people out on the street so um, you hear recordings from that time and there are um, f- there's f- far more activity from um, bird species than what was normal. So you can then pin recordings um, throughout history to those specific timelines um, based on on concepts like that sonic data. Yeah. Yeah, well, some of the – it's interesting you say that. Some of you, I guess the average – punter well, the average resident probably wouldn't stop to think about the some of the negative impacts that excessive noise and vibration could have on the local landscape like for example excessive noise would reduce the amount of flora and fauna that would be able to thrive there and as a result you know yeah uh, nature being nature everything has a step in involving sorry let me say that again everything is connected and if you disrupt one part of things then it can have impacts on all sorts of weird and wonderful ways Yep. Um, so I guess the question is, what do you think some of the other benefits would be from not having excessive noise and vibration for a time? Like what does 50 years of excessive vibration and noise do to a, an environment? Like, do you think? Does yeah, that it, it's, it's amazing. So you've got obvious impacts. Another example I can relate this to was an observation I heard about um, a supercar, the recent supercar race in Newcastle where I heard an observation someone made as the cars started um, doing laps and warming up, huge amounts of, again, birds um, left the city and they described it as just like flocks, you know, like you you see cockatoos before a storm kind of thing, just flocks of birds leaving the city. And then on the Saturday afternoon, um, once the cars had stopped for the day, the city was eerily quiet because there was no birds left in the, in the city. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but sound can have ma- massive physiological effects as well. So um, 
vibrations can un- unsettle foundations, earth, um, can put uh, physical effects on walls, things like that. Can also have uh, low frequencies, can have a, um, a psychoacoustic effect on people, a very real psychoacoustic effect of heightened adrenaline um, and also anxiety. So there, there was a point in time where things with lots of bass and lots of low end was probably going to fall on you um, or was probably going to eat you kind of thing. So, so we developed this response of um, an adrenaline rush when we hear lots of bass and, um, you know, your pupils dilate, your reflexes get a bit faster, your heart rate goes up, you're, you're physiologically affected by bass. And nowadays we've associated that with more positive experiences like going to a movie theatre or um, or maybe a, a festival or, or a concert or something like that. But in some social contexts, you've also got the idea of uh, dangerous things like um, if you're in the Ukraine, it, it could mean a bomb or things like that. So it's there was a, a in the Kuwait, conflict there's a book called sonic warfare and they were doing one side was doing this uh, practice of low flying sonic booms over towns and what that would do was uh, a jet would fly over breach the sound barrier create a sonic boom close to the towns and that sonic boom would a um, shake foundations of buildings and even planes flying over if you've lived under a flight path and you everything rattles in the house is like unnerving. Um, but then these sonic booms were, was a demoralizing tactic um, by the army without destroying uh, towns and um, killing people They were demoralizing communities and instill installing um, lots of fear and paranoia. Uh, so, and, and also even just disrupting sleep, um but but the next plane could be the bomb or um and then having to live with that night after night would be absolutely dreadful you know and then losing sleep is another form of torture as well so yeah that sound can have real effects both physically and then um there's social context to sound also so something like that power plant when it shuts down um, there are some mines in the nearby area which will put lots, which have lots of other vibrations associated. But what I think the first thing you'll notice is stillness and calmness, and um, that'll be a great time to sort of reconnect with that area. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah, I'm sort of stunned. I never was aware that sand could be used in such detrimental ways. Um, wow. I, yeah. Yeah, sound of... cannons. I did hear one story <laughs> from a, a this was um, this theatre company I was working with and um, we're talking about a project and they're saying, oh, yeah, my friend's got this sound cannon and it will <laughs> knock you over. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's got it in, in his house. Like, oh, whoa, that's insane. Yeah. I'm um, going to be Googling sound cannon after this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But uh, have you seen... Um, it, there was uh, the Japanese army. There's these great pictures of these huge um, trumpeted shapes where the, this was pre-radar. And the British army built them too as well, these giant reflective arcs where um, it's you see them in parks. Sorry, I'm jumping around the shot, but it's the same technology. You see them in parks where if you've got two dishes facing each other like 50 meters away and you're talking to one or you whisper into one and you can hear it in the other one have you seen those no can't say I have. Oh, it, sometimes you you see there's one at spears point park for example or there's one at the front of questacon in canberra where you have two dishes that are parallel that face each other and you whisper in one and then you can hear that whisper in the other side and it's the same way like um oh uh, yeah sorry the the mona down in uh, tasmania had a a similar setup, uh, yeah, now that I think of it, yeah. You... Cathedrals are, are designed for this acoustic reflection as well. But then the, but the army were making these giant 
um, the British Army and the Japanese Army were making these giant acoustic reflective surfaces so they could hear um, planes coming before uh, being able to sight them. And this was in a really brief stint before uh, radar became a popular technology. Yeah. A history lesson right there in Life's a Mitch. How good. Well, <laughs> and, but, but even um, going another thing that sound, like if you've got a Woomera, for example, and that's a low frequency. And when, especially if you're in desert country and that Woomera is just burring away, <laughs> And low frequency travels fur- further. It takes less energy to make a, a low frequency travel further. So that, that's great technology for um, sending audio signals to people over long distances uh, with minimal effort. Um, there's lots. And you've got to think of, you've got to start thinking of sound as um as energy like they say oh yeah sound vibrations and it is it's vibrations and you've got to start thinking about okay high frequencies are are really really fast um vibrations that burn a lot of energy quickly and low frequencies are long oscillating vibrations um, that take a little bit uh, that the energy will last longer as it's carried um along uh, surfaces so or through the air so it's a um yeah it's very sound is is physical you know it's but we look at it like it's this magic sometimes i feel like in our cultural context where it's oh yeah it's this thing that exists in the air um but it doesn't it's constantly it's a physical thing that affects us all it's vibrating the ground that you're on right now yeah right you give me a lot to think about after this yeah you gotta edit it and do some research (laughs) into it but um i'll wrap things up there shortly i I just Mm. Wanted to ask you as well what what does the rest of the year have in store for you? I'm going to keep a, an eye on that project you're working on and yeah. be curious to to see some of your findings. But what does the rest of this year have in store for you? So it's the that Liddell um, Upper Arts um, Upper Hunter Arts project happening. Uh, I'm st- obviously finished my study creative therapy. Um, then I'm working on like a new performance project that I'm really keen to start, you know, taking out into public this year as well. Um, that's more revolved around, you know, all sound has equal value and be, being able to present that to, to people for experience. Um, and just sort of get it, get it, get it, <laughs> getting through. Um, waiting for people to say, hey, I want to try this, and then saying, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a, my main focus for me this year is, is study, actually, more than anything, and then um, I'm moving along from there. Yeah, nice. Well, we'll have to, have to keep in touch because I, I, if you're interested, I'd like to get you back on again and pick your brain a little bit more you're you're a very very interesting lad and very generous with your time and um just before we we go if people want to view some of your work or if they want to listen to your music where can they find you yeah probably my, the first stop would be my instagram instagram.com slash box control music and um then everything kind of branches out from there so i'd say that would be the, the central stop foxcontrolmusic.com slash bio might get you somewhere as well yeah well i'll make sure to put a link to all the to everything in the in the episode description but uh just before it goes anything you want to close out on or um oh look i really appreciate um you having me and um and letting me just sort of talk about sound because i live in my ears and <laughs> i love it and um and again thanks to um Frank Zappa for uh, teeing this up. That's uh, yeah. awesome. I've got to ask. I've got to ask as well. Uh, how do you yeah. two know each other? Do you go to school together, or how do you? No, I was. He was a friend of um, a housemate that I had, and so I met um, I met Dan probably fifteen or more years ago, kind of thing. And um, at the time, he had this really great afro and great mustache. <laughs> so and and that was it and all the other guys were like pretty wild I was pretty wild at the time as well but um Dan always had his head screwed on and uh it was really interesting chat so it's just been great to 
you know, to to keep that energy around and um and to keep in contact with Dan. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Dan, for setting this up. I worked with him at an, at one of the pits in the valley for about four years and had yep. uh, many interesting chats. And if anyone wants to hear an interesting chat with a, a good fellow, episode 20, go back, have a listen. He's responsible for the little musical intro that every episode has. So Oh, nice. Always got to um always got to give shout outs where where credit's due. But yep. thanks for your time, Hugh. Um I really appreciate it. And please stay in contact and I'd like to get you back on again sometime if you'd be up for it. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great. Awesome. As always, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you want to know some cool stories, hit me up on the socials and we'll have a chat. Bye for now.